All right. Welcome, everybody, to uh, Wednesday night. I uh, hope that worship was a blessing to you. Um, listen, we can't, I can't tell you how glad I am that uh, technology has allowed us to stay connected at some level. I mean, we've watched uh, as much as we can uh, the numbers of people that join our services, whether it's Tuesday, Wednesday, whether it's the weekend, whether it's across our streaming, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, wherever you guys join us at. And uh, we know from the numbers that you're grateful for the technology that allows us to stay connected as well. Uh, but we also can tell this from the numbers that people are are ready for something else, that there's more to church than just the connecting via uh, online and streaming to, to, to be connected to the message and to worship. There's something powerful about being together, right? There's something powerful about the connection of one body part connected to another another body, body part. And that's what we get when we gather together in person. And so we we want you to know that we continue to work toward that goal. Uh, as Joe said this weekend, you know, with President Trump's announcement, nothing really changed in the state of Florida. Um, Governor DeSantis has always, uh, has always allowed churches, has always named churches as essential services, which is why we've stayed functional during this time and have had staff in our offices across our campuses. Um, so we're working toward that, and we're working in line with Governor DeSantis and his phases to uh, open Florida to do the same. And so we're excited about the fact that today we're closer than we were yesterday to getting a plan together to meet in person. And so would you pray? Uh, with me right now, we're gonna, I wanna pray for the elders. I wanna pray for Joe, for our leaders. Um, we're gonna get together tomorrow, uh, evening and, uh, have a discussion about what it looks like in the future coming together. And so I just want you to pray with me that God would grant wisdom and discernment in that room, uh, with all the folks involved in making that decision. Father, today, thank you for, um, thank you for this season. Um, I know that you've used it as you use everything for your glory. And Father, I know that I can't, I can't imagine the number of people whose lives have been changed um, by COVID-19 and what the virus has done either to them or how it's affected them and impacted them, Father, so many different ways. I know that there's a greater, I know there's a greater door for the hope found in Jesus than ever before. And I pray that we'll be faithful in the distribution of that hope. I do pray, Father, along with our family uh, at Tomoka, uh, for the elders, uh, for Dan and for Pat, and for Doug and for Mike and for Joe um, as our lead pastor. And pray, Father, that you would grant them your wisdom and your discernment as we talk about what it looks like to get back together and to begin to meet in person. Um, Father, we want to do it in a way that ultimately honors and glorifies you and loves our neighbor as ourself. So grant us the wisdom to do just that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you guys for for uh, for being a part of that. Uh, we're in a series in First Peter. We started it last week. And we talked about the notion that um, we've come off this series, this series about finding hope in the dark. And Peter's Peter's letter is written to a group of people, primarily Gentiles, who were, who were pers being persecuted. And the reason they were was because Rome had burnt. Many people believe that Nero, who was, who was the, the Caesar at the time, was the king at the time, had, had done just that, had burnt Rome, um, himself. 
And when he saw the backlash, realized he needed a scapegoat. And so Christians became the scapegoat there in Rome for the, for the burning down of the city. And many of those Christians were dispersed, right? They, they fled to Asia Minor, right? They fit, fled to, to, to modern day Turkey and they landed in these places where Peter's letter finds them as a messenger delivers that letter from church to church to church in those towns that Peter mentions in chapter one. And so these are people that are struggling. These are people that have been displaced. These are people that are homeless. These are people that are refugees. Many of them have suffered physical abuse as well as verbal and emotional abuse. And so Peter wrote to them. And then the first chapter that we covered last week, we found that Peter used labels, right? And it's a theme throughout his letter as he tries to connect the Gentiles to the promises that God made to the Jewish people, right? To give them, to give them hope because we talked last week, labels have power, right? Labels have the power to send somebody sky high and do something they can't imagine, couldn't imagine they could have ever done, right? To dream their dreams and, and fulfill their dreams. Labels have the power to make a person do that, but they also have the power to keep a person on the ground. And they have the power to ultimately drown an individual. And labels matter. And we talked to the powerful labels that God give, gives us. We, we mentioned just a few last week, right? Chosen, right? That Greek word has the idea that I choose out of a, an abundance of, of, of my desire and my will, right? That was God's feeling toward us. And here's the crazy thing about God's choosing us. God chose us before we performed in a way that allowed God to justify his choosing us, right? Like training camps and football where hundreds of people are invited and the coaches observe their performances and then choose based on a performance. God chose us before the foundation of the world, right? God's, God's full expression of his own free will is involved in choosing you and involved in choosing me, right? And in a world, in a world where people are discounted for being black, right? For being poor, for being disabled, uh, for being, uh, you, you give the marginalized term, right? Whatever that term is that the world uses to dismiss someone, the truth of God's word is you were chosen in Jesus before the foundation of the world. God did not need your performance to justify his choice. His love for us is justification enough. We learned that we were God's children, Right? loved and protected. And ultimately we learned that we were sojourners, right? The idea that we're building houses next to strangers so that we can communicate the hope of the gospel, right? That's the purpose for which God's called us to be holy, to be set apart, right? And so today we're going to step into chapter two and we're going to talk about the big picture, right? So I'm a grandpa seven times over and, um, our, uh, our daughter's grandson is currently living with us. And so we get a, a little bit of a firsthand view of, of, of what he's going through developmentally. And we get a chance to sort of influence maybe a little bit of what he's learning. And so I just want to show you a quick video of something that was apparently being taught to him while I was out of town. Uh, so take a look at this video. This is my grandson, Owen, and um, what we're teaching him. Can you do one more? Can you do one more? 
Come on, you got this. You got this. Yes! <laughs> right, so Owen's learning being taught by Grandma, apparently, to cheer for himself, right? To celebrate. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Um, learning how to celebrate something accomplished is a good thing, right? So I get home, and I'm sitting sitting in the in the living room yesterday evening with my daughter and Owen, and all of a sudden she leaves the room and she comes back and she brings in our the basketball hoop that I've bought Owen, uh, so he can begin to learn the important things in life. And so she gets the basketballs out, and the next thing I know, he's got a ball in his hand and he's he's running toward the rim to shoot and or to at least score a basket. I'm assuming. Instead, he runs toward the basket, and with the basketball, he just basically throws it on the ground next to the basket, and then all of a sudden, he starts cheering for himself, as if he had done something amazing. Unfortunately, I was so flabbergasted, I didn't bother to record it to have video evidence, but this went on for about the next five minutes, where he would simply grab a basketball, run toward the hoop, care less whether he made it or not, he was all about celebrating himself. He would cheer, he would clap, he would raise his hands, he would scream because he was taught how to celebrate himself. And and, and as Harmony and I discussed later, we're going to have to correct this problem because to us, it's more important. And, and listen, I'm saying this tongue in cheek. I don't want an email saying how terrible of a grandparent I am, right? But tongue in cheek, we sort of th- said to ourselves, right? He's got it backwards, Right, The goal, the why of basketball is to put the basketball in the hoop to score. Celebrating is what you do afterwards, not beforehand, right? And so the whole idea is that we've got to get these things in the right order, right? I love seeing my grandson celebrate and cheer and clap. I want him to learn to put the basketball in the basket before he does the celebrating because the order of Why we do things is incredibly important. And it's that I want to focus on in 1 Peter chapter 2 as we talk about the big picture, right? And so the first thing I want to talk about is why, right? So one of the things that I'm excited about is our grandson learning to talk because one of the things that if you're a parent of a toddler, you know, one of the questions that that children ask all the time is, what, why, 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 why? Right? Hey, go do this. Why? Go do this. Why? Go do this. Why? Somewhere along the line, we go from that being our primary consideration as we get older to focusing on just what we're supposed to do. Right? What is it you want me to do? What's my job? Right? Honey, tell me what it is you want me to do. We're always concerned about what. What, 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 what. And somewhere along the line, we lose the power of why things matter. All right, let me read this to you from a leadership uh, leadership website. It says if you if you just share what needs to get done, you're giving orders. If you explain when it needs to get done, you're simply prioritizing and scheduling someone else's calendar. If you explain how things need to get done, you're micromanaging. What if you always explained why something needed to get done? Focusing on the importance and the impact Saying why provides guidance that empowers the people around you to solve problems, make decisions, and accelerate delivery. Listen, I'm a huge component 
and believer in why. Why I, I realize not, not everybody is motivated by understanding why we do certain things. Some people are better at just taking orders, right? But I believe that ultimately we're all served better if we understand why we do what we do, right? It's why we have such a clear mission statement at Tomoka. We exist to make it hard for people to go to hell from this generation. Listen, we need that clarity in our why, because if we don't have clarity in why we do what we do, how will we ever know that what we're doing is correct? And it's the same for you, you and I personally, right? It is very difficult to practice the Nancy Reagan philosophy of the 1980s about everything in our life that the Bible says we should and shouldn't do, where she said, just say no. Right. The reality is just saying no ultimately becomes a lot more difficult for us if we don't understand why that no is connected to it. And a book such as the Bible that gives us tons of direction about things such as money, marriage, raising children, what I should and shouldn't put in my body, what I should and shouldn't say out of my mouth, what I should and shouldn't think in my mind. Right. All of these directives about what we should do come at a cost if we never tell people why. I think First Peter chapter 2 tells us why. Let's read it in First Peter 2 verses 4 through 10. He says, as you come to Jesus, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Listen to this. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, those of, those of us who believe in Jesus, right? But you are a chosen people. There's that word again, chosen, right? The value of that label means something to people who think they've always had to earn somebody's approval. We're a chosen people. We're not just chosen. We're a royal priesthood. And we are a holy, set-apart nation. Listen to this. God's special possession that you and I may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Listen, here's the reality. Like, there's a, these are people who are, who are being persecuted, right? These are people who are being tested and tried because of somebody else's claim about who they were. And they're struggling. Right? They're struggling to figure out how they're supposed to do this well. Right? And Peter gave them the power of positive labels as we read some of those last week. But ultimately what Peter does is he gets to the core of why these people should do what they do. Because ultimately in Jesus, we are God's possession to declare, right? That, that, that Greek word is a two part Greek word that has at its root the same Greek word translated angel, 
right? At the end of the day, we are messengers, he says, to proclaim the excellencies or the praises, right? That goes to God's nature of who he is for those of us who've been taken out of darkness and into a marvelous light. Here's how some of the other writers said it. Paul writes it this way in Titus 2. He says, for the grace, and and everybody who, who hears this verse should say amen, should have this written down or memorized, right? For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Nobody's saved without the grace of God. Can I get an amen, right? And listen to what the grace of God does. And this is where we had it wrong for so many years in the church. We thought if we scared people to death, they'd behave. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says God's grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Listen to this. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify, to set apart for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Paul said it this way to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says this, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Listen, the Bible is constantly reminding us of the power of why, right? Our why is bigger. And here's the thing about why it's always bigger than ourselves, right? Our why, according to Peter, is listen, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, right? A people who were never a people, who are now a people of God's own possession, right? And here's our purpose, to make sure that we proclaim the goodness of God's grace found in only Jesus Christ, to talk about being transferred out of this darkness into this marvelous light, right? For, listen, for so many people raised in church, everybody thought the purpose of the church was to make sure that we were your moral police, that we taught you how to behavior modify, right? That was what we did to people for years. And here's the problem. It didn't work. Not only did it not work, it kept us busy from the ultimate purpose that God made the church. Listen, this is why Joe's a great leader. Joe's a great leader because he instinctively or giftedness through the Holy Spirit understands that the purpose of the church isn't to monitor every one of our behaviors. Listen, if all we're supposed to do is monitor the behavior of the people in this church, we need a much smaller church because there's way too many of you to monitor and there's way too many things you're doing for us to try to figure it all out. Really? Then that, that's sort of the power of Facebook at times, right? We, people troll on your Facebook account to see what you're posting, right? Are you drinking or where you're hanging out or who you're hanging out with? Listen, I have no interest in that. What I want is for the church of Jesus to do what God's, God intended it for it to do when he purchased us with his, with the blood of his son Jesus. And that is to continue to tell people of the hope that's found in Jesus. That's what I love about Tomoka. It's ultimately what I love about my, my lead pastor and my friend Joe is that for 27 years, he's never failed to keep the church pointed in the right direction. And listen, it isn't always easy, right? There are voices that come all the time about what should and shouldn't be done and why are we doing this? But ultimately, 
Listen, our job is to proclaim the excellencies excellencies of him who took it out of this darkness and into this marvelous light. Listen, Paul said it this way to the church in Corinth at the end of that fifth chapter. He said, so from now on, listen, the, Christ, the love of Jesus compels us, right? Because we know that one died for all and therefore all have died. Our debt's been paid. He said, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Listen, our job isn't to view people based upon the world standards, right? Paul said, we don't do that. Though we once did, and once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Jesus, right? And this is connected to seeing people differently. If anybody's in Jesus, they're new. It's a new creation. The old's gone and the new's here. All this is from God who reconciled, right? Brought two opposing parties together, reconciled us to himself through Jesus and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So what God did with us, by connecting us and reconciling us with Jesus, he's now giving us the job of doing that with other people. He says, here's the ministry, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Jesus, not counting, if God's not counting, we shouldn't either, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. What is that? We are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore, the Greek word is beg. We beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We exist to make it hard for people to go to hell from this generation. You and I exist for a bigger purpose, right? The why. Right? Our why, the why, your why, my why is the purpose, cause, or belief that drives every one of us. Listen, you may not have thought about it, but every person in here has a why. Every person listening has a why. Every person connected through any digital format, any of the, the media streams, all of us have a why. It's that thing that drives us, right? That thing that brings about our beliefs, the things that brings about our causes. All of us have a why. But here's the thing about being a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, your why has already been stated. Here's your why. To beg people on behalf of Jesus to be reconciled to God. To make sure that you proclaim the excellencies of him who took us out of darkness into this marvelous light. Go and make disciples of all nations. And you baptize them in the name of Jesus and you teach them to observe everything that God commanded. Why? Because that's our why. Because listen, Peter's going to get pretty personal. He's going to get down to the nitty gritty of how you and I live in the world. And that always feels like somebody's meddling, right? And the reason that Peter gets there to these people and the reason why we're going to get there together tonight is because we, we've covered the why. It's a lot easier to struggle with what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to do it as long as we know the why. God's been very clear about our why. Our why is to tell people about Jesus. Amen, church. Listen, how about this? Let's talk about the next thing that's important, right? Is how, right? How? And I've talked about this before in Simon Sinek's golden circle. You know, most of us start with what we're supposed to do and work our way inside. Listen, the, the golden circle teaches, and I believe in it, that why is the center. It's the target. You figure out the why, and then from that you expand into how we are supposed to do what we're supposed to do, right? 
It's sort of like the game plan, right? When we sat down in a, in a coach's meeting when I was playing basketball, we knew what our why was. Here's our opponent. Our why was to beat them, right? The question became, how are we going to do it, right? How were we going to learn how to do this? And my senior in high school, one of the teams that we played had a seven foot two center that went on to play college basketball at Indiana, go Shane, um, and then ultimately into the pros, right? We had to learn how we were going to beat a team with a seven foot two center when the tallest guy we had was me at six foot four, right? And so we sat down and the coach put out a game plan as to how we were going to do it, right? And ultimately our game plan was pretty simple. We were going to attack. We were going to attack, right? That was our how. How we were going to get this done was we were we were going to go right at him, right at the basket, right at this guy, and force force the referees, force them to make plays. That became our strategy. Listen, once we understand why we're here, listen. God said it's a, it's it's a listen. It's a no brainer. I have no idea how Satan deceived the church for so many years. To make it focused on my job is to police your morality when the Bible is clear every time you turn around that the ultimate purpose of Jesus's followers is to connect people to Jesus. And we do that by show and tell. We do that by letting them see our lives and hear our words so that we can bring Jesus into their space. But how do we do that? Right? It's one thing to say this is our why. Many people are going to say, well, how, how do we figure out how to do it? The Bible's really clear about this. Listen to 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. He gives us one how, one really simple how. He says, dear friends, I urge you, Peter says, as foreigners, there's that word sojourner again, right? You've moved into this space and you've put a house next to a stranger, right? So here you are as a sojourner, a foreigner and exiles. Here's what he tells you to do. He wants them to abstain. He's going to be specific. He wants them to abstain from behaving the way their neighbors behave, right? So abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Hang on to that phrase. We're going to come back to it. He says, here's this how. Like, I'm supposed to tell people about Jesus, but I'm a foreigner. I'm a refugee. And I've put a house beside this stranger. How do I tell that person about a God who took me out of darkness and into the marvelous light? He says, here's what he says. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let me, let me read it to you the way Jesus said it. Matthew 5, 14 through 16, right? Here's what Jesus said. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Listen, I think we've made this way too complicated, right? Listen, the job of the pastor is to equip, equip Christians to do the work of ministry. Unfortunately, that's not what we were taught in Bible college. We were taught our job is to preach the Bible, do the sermons, be at the hospital, right? Do all the visitations, the funerals and the weddings. Make sure that you're in the office on a scheduled time. So if the elders call, you can be, you can be tracked down and found, right? Everything. 
Listen, the Bible says in Ephesians 4, the job of the pastor and the evangelist and the teacher is to equip the church to do the work that God called them to do. Okay, All right? How do we get that done? It's really simple. Peter says, live such a good. And that Greek word for good is such a deep word. There's, there's so much meaning to it, right? It, 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 is as, it is intrinsically as good as good can get, right? It's, it's about the value of the things that you do in your life. And here's what Peter said. Live such a good life that the people who'd want to accuse you and want to badmouth you are left with nothing to badmouth because your deeds, your good deeds are seen among them and they have no way to justify badmouthing you, right? Live a good life, right? We've, we've somehow made it so complicated for you to be a sojourner, right? We talk about this world is not our home. We're just passing through. Well, how do you, as a, as a person who's just passing through, not sticking around, Right? How do you make an impact if my why is to tell people about Jesus? Listen, live a good life. Live a good life. A good enough life that your neighbors, right, the people around you who'd want to accuse you of doing something wrong have no ammunition. If, and listen, if, it might seem complicated, but it's not complicated to live a good life. To learn to be a good neighbor, right? And Paul's going to tell us what that looks, or Peter's going to tell us what that looks like. And you might think, well, it's a lot harder than you say it is, Cord. But the reality is living a good life is good enough to accomplish what our why is, right? Our why is to make people aware of Jesus. Our why is to give them our hope that we found in Jesus. How do you do that? You learn to live a good life, right? Here's the way Paul wrote it to a church in Philippi. Listen to this. He says, here's a part of living a good life. Do everything. If you were all gathered with me, I'd say, say everything again, right? Listen, everything encompasses everything. No exceptions. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Why? Because that's a dumb request. I mean, we all live around people, right? We all work around people. How hard is it to never grumble or complain? So why would you ask me to do such a crazy thing? Why? So that you may become blameless and pure and children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will listen to this. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, right? It, listen, it's not complicated. Right? The big picture is really simple to find in scripture. To point people to Jesus. Right? The Bible says if Jesus be lifted up, God will draw all men to him. And what we did in church forever, what, if you're familiar with church was, we made church about you. Right? We made sure that it was about you. And the focus was on you and how you behaved and what you did and reminded you every week. And every time you took communion, we reminded you you were unworthy. We focused on all of that and we missed out on the why of the church. And the why of the church is to go and to tell people about Jesus. Or to do it where you live. And the reality is it's so complicated because for years we didn't even know how to do it. And, and, and here's what's happening. We've got an opportunity now as, as great as we've ever had to be great neighbors who simply live good lives. And one of the way Paul says to do it is just don't grumble and complain. Listen, don't grumble and don't complain. Why? Because when you do that in a warped and perverse generation, you shine like a star. And what did Jesus say? Let your light so shine, right? 
among them that they may see your good works and glorify their fathers in heaven. Right? How about Matthew? Jesus said this way, Matthew 7. By their fruit, you'll recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree can't bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Listen, there's nothing more powerful to accomplish our why than to just live a good life. Listen, being a, being a Christian and coming to church every Sunday and, and being upset that we're not meeting in person and going on mission trips and serving in the cafe. And, listen, all that's great. I, I, it's, it's all part of what we do. But if that's your measurement, if that's your measurement for being a good Christian and you're not focused on no grumbling or complaining, right? Living in such a way next to your neighbors that they've got nothing to accuse you of. And in the world we live today, most of that is found on the internet, right? I mean, what is the representation that you make of Jesus and your why by what you're posting on the internet, by what you're posting on Facebook, by what you're posting on Instagram, by what you're saying, you know, in Snapchat, right? The reality is, are we living a good life where life is being lived now, right? And it's not that complicated. Here's what Peter said in 1 Peter 2.15. He said this, he said, for it is God's will. This is God's desire for you that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people, right? We think the way to silence ignorant people is to argue all the time, which is why Fox News and CNN and all of those stations have rabid audiences. Because if we can fight, right, and we can point out the foolishness of another person, then you know what? We can win. Here's what, here's what Peter said. He said, here's the way to silence foolish men. Just live a good life. Just live a life with such intrinsic value that it's good. And that's how, that's how we'll make it possible for people to hear about Jesus and how we'll make it hard for people to go to hell. Because at the end of the day, we get to the final point, which is this, what? Because it always comes down to this. Listen, we, we talked about beating Effingham and their 7-2 center. And we sat in a room and coach gave us our game plan. Listen, your job is to go out and attack. We're not going to sit back and we're not going to be cowards. We're going to press them and we're going to attack them. And then he told us what to do, right? We went down on the practice floor and the team that we scrimmaged against and practiced against was a team, not of five people, which was the rules in basketball, but six. And on that team, two of the six carried broomsticks, so they were taller than normal. And we learned what to do because we knew how we were going to get it done and why we were supposed to do it. But the what? Listen, that's where the rubber meets the road, right? But if you don't have a good understanding of why you're supposed to do it and how you're supposed to do it, trying to get somebody to do it is really hard. Because it is a really hard thing. Let me, I just want to read a few verses here, right? In First Peter chapter 2. Submit yourselves. I mean, that's it right there, right? Everything about the Christian life is about those two words. Submit yourself. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Listen, is God not good? Right? I mean... God gave me this book to preach long before COVID-19. It was on my schedule. And here we are in the middle of 
President Trump saying last Friday, churches are essential and everybody's expectations uh, ramping up about when we should meet and let's get this thing going. And here's what, and, and why was it Tomoka meeting? And here's what he said. Go, go back, go back. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For listen to this, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Listen, and I don't want to take a lot of time here, right? First of all, Greek word submit, submit yourselves. The Greek word there is a military term, and it means to line up under authority of a superior. Right. As a somebody who's a commander in chief, somebody who's a leader. Right. If you're submitting, you're lining up under the direction of somebody else. And here's what Peter says. Submit yourselves. Right. To the government. To the government. Listen, let me just let me just say something and feel confident that I'm saying it on behalf of leadership of our church. We decided, listen, we live in America and it's a great thing to be an American. We have such, we have such blessings and freedoms. But when being American is more important than being a Christian, these verses get thrown out, right? The Constitution of the United States says we have the freedom of speech and the freedom, right, of religion, of religious expression. So the government shouldn't tell us what to do. So in spite of COVID-19, we should be meeting. Listen, we don't buy that. And here's why. Not because we don't have the freedom, but the most powerful thing that you can do with your freedom is submit it to somebody else. Listen, we, we, we make such a big deal about being an American and our freedom. And all that, all that says is, listen, I, I have the power to do what I want to do. Right? We talk about our civil liberties. Don't take my civil liberties away. Listen, if you're a Christian, you live as free men under the goodness and the grace of God. But the most important thing we do as Christians is we submit ourselves in such a way that our life is good enough that nobody can have a complaint against us. Why? Because we want people to come to Jesus. That's what we've lost. And all of our rants on Facebook and all of our talk about Democrat and Republican and Fox and CNN. Listen, the reality is this, that when we engage in that stuff at some level, we're not making it hard for people to come to Jesus. Listen, we can take stands where we need to take stands. But at the end of the day, our job is to submit ourselves to who? To one another. And he uses it here to say submit it to a government. And listen, before you say, well, that was in Peter's day. Listen, this was written to a group of people who were living under the rule of the Roman Empire. If not the worst, one of the worst empires to bring countries into subjection to it. And the Romans treated these people with utter contempt and gave them no voice and no value. And what did Jesus command them through the apostle Peter? Submit yourself to the government. Submit it. Either to the emperor or even to the governor. Submit yourself. We haven't met because we believe that the best witness for our church collectively 
And you individually is for us to honor the government here. They're not telling us we can't preach Jesus. Listen, we've preached Jesus to more people during the pandemic than we had in all the weeks of the year combined up to then. Because of social media and the access of the internet, we have seen the gospel of Jesus go to people, more people and in more places than you and I could even fathom. So the government hasn't told us we can't preach Jesus. They was simply giving us guidelines and best faith efforts to try to protect our society. And we've got people who want to say, well, we shouldn't let the government tell us what to do. No, we shouldn't. But you know what we should do? We should have our own volition and our own freedom in Jesus submit to that authority. Listen, he gets even more personal. Look what he says in verse 17. Show proper respect to everyone. For the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. The emperor. One of the most cruel people in the entire world at the time, honor the emperor. He says this to slaves. We use this as, as employees, right? As encumbered people. In reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, right? If an employee, submit yourself to your boss. Why? Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable, right? If someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. Listen to this. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing something wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good, remember that good life we're supposed to live, those good deeds, and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Listen, the reality is this, that being a Christian and being in America sometimes, being an American are not, they're not very good at coexisting. We think they are because we've connected the right to, 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 to God and the left not to him. And the reality is there are as many corrupt Republicans as there are Democrats. The reality is this, that as a Christian person living in 2021, there isn't a person. Well, I, I can't say that. It seems to me that we have a government that has some corruptness in it. And the reality is this. We often base our submission to the government based on who's in charge. When in reality, for Christians, it doesn't matter. Our job is to submit in such a way that we bring honor where honor is due, respect where respect is due, and we make it so those people out in the world who would want to criticize the church and badmouth us have no excuse to do so. And by so doing, we point them to Jesus. And isn't that why we do what we do? Listen, if you want your kids, if you want your kids to see a living and breathing example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, then learn to do these things. Romans 13, 1, a couple of scriptures, we'll close it out. Let everyone, no exceptions, everyone, right? I looked up the Greek word, it means everyone. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Listen, Governor DeSantis has a great phase, uh, uh, phase one, phase two, phase three, and ongoing to open up the state. We're using those guidelines to make decisions about when we should open in person. We're all anxious. Listen, it's, uh, it's, been, a, it's been a challenge for our staff, right, uh, to, to just sit back at some level and wait and, and be restricted. We're ready. We're ready to open the doors and we're ready to unleash, you know, God's kingdom on the world again. We're ready. Joe's chomping to go plant a church somewhere, right? We're ready to go, but we're submitting. We're exercising our freedom. 
right? The freedom that we have in Jesus, we're exercising it in such a way that we want the surrounding community to see the way Tomoka behaves in light of those passages so that they have no complaints against us, right? Listen, and so we're going to ask you to do the same. Listen, you're a representative not only of this church, but of Jesus. We want you to have the same, the same feeling, right? We're not doing God any disservice by not gathering yet. Matter of fact, we've done so much service to God in these past few weeks. It's going to be months for us to get all those stories told. It's been an amazing season of open door ministry. And when we gather together, we want to make sure that we do it in a way that is submitted to the government. The elders and Joe decided at the very beginning of this path, when we got together, we want to honor and respect the government. We want to make sure that we stay in line because here's why. People are watching us, right? People are watching Tomoka Christian Church. And we don't want to give them an excuse to do anything but glorify God so that they're ready on the day of visitation, right? How about 1 Peter 2, 16 and 17? Peter says this way, live as free people, but don't use your freedom. Listen, this is, the word, this is where being an American and being a Christian gets complicated. We're Americans, we're free, right? Right, right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? But he says, live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up or a crutch for doing the wrong thing. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Listen, our freedom is a powerful thing given to us through the grace of the grace of God through his son, Jesus Christ. But that freedom is ours then to choose to submit where we're supposed to submit. Galatians five, last, last one I want to read to you. You, my brothers and sisters were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge your flesh. And listen, we always say flesh. We think about sexual sin and all this stuff. Listen, your flesh is anything that is contrary to the spirit of God. Right? So whether it's grumbling or complaining, stomping your foot, right? Gossiping, you know, doing whatever. He says this, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather serve. This is, this is the choice. Serve one another humbly in love for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. Listen, that's not living a good life. And that's certainly not not helping your neighbor who doesn't know God to glorify him by your behavior. Listen, it matters how we talk to each other. It matters what we say. It matters. And in this time, especially, our world is right for people to complain and to point fingers, you know, and to, to make excuses. And listen, we've never been a fan of the churches that decided to go rogue against their government. I've got a, my dear friend who's, who's leading a church in Illinois and a governor who says, listen, if churches want to meet at the end of the month, they can, but only outside. And he's leading a church of, of a group of people that say, hey, we're going to ignore him. We're going to ignore the government. We're going to open. And his argument is, why are you making going to church a right or wrong thing when it doesn't need to be? I, I, I think, listen, I think there's things for us to learn in this season. I think one of the things that we can learn is this, that the church has power, even if it isn't collectively meeting together on weekends. We've had an amazing, listen, we've had an amazing impact because of you across, across our city and across our county. We've had a, an amazing impact because you understand the power that the church, the power of the church isn't just in gathering. And we do understand the power of gathering. There is, there is power in this room being filled with believers worshiping God. 
and lifting his name on high. But there's more power in our why when we live as neighbors who learn to submit ourselves in the proper way. Because at the end of the day, this is not about you. And this is not about me. At the end of the day, this is about God. And the only way for us to be right with him is to know his son, Jesus. And we have a great, listen, we have a great responsibility as a church to make it hard for people to reject Jesus. We've got a huge responsibility. Last verse I want to read is found in 1 Peter 21 as we, as we leave. He said, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Listen, he's not asking us to do something he hadn't done himself. Listen, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled, listen to this, when they hurled their insults at Jesus, he didn't retaliate. And when he suffered, he didn't make any threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. For by his wounds, you've been healed. Listen, we've misquoted that verse out of Isaiah 53 for our own selfish purposes too long. Listen, Jesus's body was broken so that we could be healed. Not physically. Our bodies are condemned to the grave, right? The wages of sin is death and to death we'll go. Our body, the Bible says, is growing more corrupt day by day. Our healing is in our relationship with Jesus. And our relationship with God through Jesus. That's how Jesus' body, right? By his stripes were healed. Listen, those stripes were for me. Those stripes were for you. Because we couldn't do this right. Those stripes made it possible for you and I to be in a right relationship with God through his son Jesus. Now it's our job to tell everybody we can about the God who took us out of darkness into a marvelous light. How do we do it? Live a good life. Live a good life. And what does that look like? Learn to submit. Submit to everyone. Give honor where honor is due. Respect where respect is due. Submit to the government, whether you agree with them or not. And if you're an employee, submit to your boss. Not just the good bosses, but the bad ones also. Why? Because when we do things like that, we shine like diamonds. Right? We shine like stars. And all of that light that we bring into the world points to nowhere, but to God and his son, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, make us, make us aware of the power of light. Help us to see the world and all of its darkness. We've clearly been duped into no, to, to just not seeing the dark. And so we speak and we act in a way that shows that we're just not aware of how dark the places are around us. So make us aware of the bigger fight. Lord, make us unified as a church in our stand to open when it's time to open. And to do it in a way that makes the world take notice of you and not us. There's no, there's no impact in someone's soul when the focus is us and not you. And so God, make us aware of that and make us, make us choose that. And if that means we put a hand over our mouth, if we keep our opinions to, yourself, to ourselves, Lord, teach us to do that. But at the end of the day, Father, make us aware that our job is to make it hard for people to go to hell. And so make us 
ambassadors who on your behalf are asking people to be reconciled to you through your son, Jesus. I pray in his name. Amen.